The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. In a way, uh, this is the return to normal on this podcast. We're yes. going to go back to a normal normal podcast with a normal format that you're used to, actual car debates. You may have heard uh, our last podcast earlier this week was actually recorded live at the Chicago Track Day. You thought we'd stop talking about it, and yet it's <laughs> happened. We're still going to talk about it because it was awesome. Yeah. And what you didn't yeah. hear on the podcast is that we actually got in a car after the podcast, which was even cool. We actually shot a, we got in a couple of cars, but we shot one of the cars that's coming up uh, in a little while. Yeah, this will be fun. And that was a, f- a fun podcast just to be in the room with people and take live questions yeah. and just kind of interact. It was part presentation and part podcast and part just hanging out and talking with friends you know it was it was, it was totally great. different it was it was very fun i agree and and i hope uh, those of you listening enjoyed it uh, it obviously was a very very different format it was all question based but we had a lot of fun doing it thank you to all of you that came out for the chicago track day uh we have gotten some glowing response out of it and sean from laps incorporated has invited us back kind of any time so uh, we're hoping to return to Autobahn with LAPS at some point or maybe some other LAPS events. We will see. But, of course, that was our first of hopefully many of that idea. And, uh, wow, we had fun. Yeah. Thanks again to the, to all the guys at LAPS Incorporated, Sean, Bob, and Ken. Ken actually took both Todd and I on the track in his Lotus Exige for track familiarization LAPS, which was great yep. just to start getting yep. – Getting to know the track, getting to know entry and exit speeds, of course, in an Exige with slicks, which is quite a bit different mm-hmm. than most cars. But it I, was great. I was I was so mixed on that experience because <laughs> I got out I, just I, in it was pain. informative, <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to drive that yeah, car. And yeah. the whole time I'm riding with Ken, I'm thinking, "You're a great driver, and thanks for showing me the track. But why am I in the wrong seat? <laughs> why? Why?" Yeah. yeah, he had a great little. Uh, uh, passenger audio system, so you could talk back and he forth. He did, which was yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was really nice. And Ken, you're a great driver, and thanks for taking us. And again, thanks to all those guys. It just, man, what a classy event, you know? It was uh, yeah, very. They just did such a great job. So here we are, still talking about it. It was a great success. <laughs> we are looking forward to having another one at some point. We have not announced anything yet, mm-hmm. but it just for proved sure. the model and proved the, the success of the event and proved how much people are. You know, just their eyes are opened to what their mm-hmm. car can do, and you know how much fun they had. So, yeah. That, that well, was it was great. it was what we talked about, and that was many of you that came out had never been on track ever before, and that that was the big thing is to see that most of the newbie group, most of the guys that were in the first time on track group, had come for, with everyday driver, which was amazing, and that's what we wanted. And so we had great conversations with all of you talking about the experiences you were having and wanting to do it more. That's exactly the reason we partnered with somebody local so you can keep going to your local track with a group that you know. So uh, that's it's just excited. For, we're, we're excited to just expand that further. Who knows where it will go? Of course, the next thing we're doing that is not normal is we're going back to Europe. That's right. The pilgrimage trip is happening. Yes. And uh, that's uh, – wow, that's, that's close too. My gosh. Yeah, we're really coming up on that, but we had to get past the Chicago track day first, and our heads are fully in the pilgrimage <laughs> trip now. Speaking of tracks and track time, we want you on that trip with us. We are going, so go to the everydaydriver.com adventures tab and get more information. If you're waffling, if you're on the fence, if you've thought about it, uh, spousal permission, all of those things, we definitely understand. <laughs> but We've uh, heard a lot of those stories, for sure. <laughs> yeah, please. For come. sure, yeah. Please come. So well, that's next. So so here we are. We're recording on a Thursday night for release on Friday. So thank you guys for being with us again uh, for our t- twice-a-week deal. But, you know, actually we kind of fell across the finish line into this podcast. I, mean, I know I did personally because oh, yeah. mere, a mere couple of hours ago, the Focus RS piece launched. That is Focus RS versus its primary three competitors in the U.S., the Evo X, the STI, and the Golf R. I have been busily, busily working on that. I have to be honest, losing all day Monday hurt. 
from an editorial yeah. perspective because I realized I got to make that up somewhere. Thursday's not coming any farther away. So, yeah, but it's out. And then, of course, we had YouTube upload problems. Wouldn't you know it? First biggest piece we've had since the Mustangs. We had YouTube upload issues. But that's solved now. It's out. You guys are liking it. You're watching it. Please share it. It's That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. And speaking of the RS, a bit of news that has come out about the Focus RS, and that is Ford is now offering a school specifically for owners. They are offering this as a complimentary thing to owners of the new Focus RS at our home track. It's the Utah Motorsports Campus, mm -hmm. formerly Miller Motorsports Park, out uh, yep. just outside of Salt Lake uh, to the west. And we've done both the... Um, Octane Academy with the Fiesta ST and Focus mm -hmm. ST, mm -hmm. and we've done the Mustang School through the Ford Performance Racing yep. School there. Yep. So go check out both of those videos and replace that car, those cars in your mind, with the Focus RS. <laughs> Everything well, is now with the RS, so you can go do I that. agree. I mean, that, that essentially, that, that ST Octane Academy is being replaced by this, whatever they're calling it, the, the RS Adventure or whatever it is. But what I find fascinating about it is a little kind of quip that was mentioned in there that they're going to have a way for drivers to explore all the modes of the car. Mm. Now, if you're following along with the class, that means there's a drift mode in there. What are you setting up for me to explore drift mode? And as we mentioned in the video, uh, the great thing about exploring drift mode, if you're exploring it in a track setting like this, is that's not your tires, which would be really nice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, hopefully uh, some of you can start taking advantage of that now that the car is in the hands of owners. And that was a privately owned car. Thank you, Michael, for letting us drive that car. And we had a great yeah. time. Yeah, just fantastic. And Chance has actually, on the website, done a write-up as well on the everydaydriver.com website. So check that out. He is our primary shooter along with Edgar, and he's written his impressions from the day, just, you know, mm -hmm. kind of what he thought and uh, had some, some time in the car along with Michael as well. So that was fun. Yeah, I'm glad we did all of that. We're trying to get as much coverage out of this as possible because obviously it's a big comparo. So thank you guys for being as excited about it as we are because we were thrilled to even put it together. Uh, speaking of other random news uh, that you brought up that Focus RS, I'm going to shift us a bit to, I swear every week there's news on them, and that's Tesla. They're talking this week about the P100. And, of course, what is it? Well, it's an even faster version of the Teslas. I'm not sure that was the thing to chase. I mean, I realize that's the thing that gets the headline, but, uh, you know, I feel like I read a lot of commentary from either other automotive journalists or just from random people saying, stop worrying about how fast it goes and give me longer range and the Model 3. I think you're right, because at this point, everybody knows who's been paying attention thus far that Teslas are fast. They're quick and they're fast. We know it. We love it. It's a giggle yeah, fest. Which is cool. It's cool. But do we need to you know, to shave, you know, milliseconds Agreed. off of our time just to sell more mm -hmm. cars? Do we need to keep going down mm -hmm. this road? I say no. I, I'm with you. Let's go for range. Let's start, you know, what about a 500-mile range car? Now, that's yeah. news. That's interesting. Suddenly mm -hmm. things, you know, really get interesting with something like that. Or, you're right, the Model 3. Good news, everybody. We ignored everything else, and we're just concentrating on the Model 3, and they came out sooner than expected. That would have been far more helpful than a oh, quicker electric car. All no? the people that signed up and all the people that hold stock would say hallelujah if they said mm -hmm. that. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a flashy headline of we made the world's fastest car again. It's not that flashy headline. I get it. But I think it's a lot more realistic, usable headline. I'm just, I'm very curious, as we've talked it, uh, into oblivion, I shouldn't go much further, but I'm just very curious to see what are the next two years for Tesla. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a pivotal point in the company. And I, I don't know, I just thought this was an, an odd announcement because I just thought, great, cool, <laughs> right. I guess. And, and I feel like a lot of other people felt that way as well. That was the part of it that surprised me. Is my initial impression was, okay. And then I felt like that was kind of the general impression I came across as well, which was a little bit of a surprise. We've also noticed that Tesla has increased the price of the autopilot system after announcing this information about the 100D car. And... Um, so good news, everybody. The cars are faster and more expensive. Yay. <laughs> well, and there's the comment somewhere in there about it to help pay for the Model 3. There's so many Model 3s being made. You cannot sell enough 100s to offset how many Model 3s you need <laughs> no. to make. So it's just got to be, yeah, that I, I man, what a conundrum. 
we should move on to a car debate. Uh, Alan wrote to us uh, with uh, kind of a sad story, but it is a car guy story. He's writing to us from the Houston area, actually, in Pasadena there. And uh, he wrote to us and said that he's a big fan of the show. Thank you for following along. Uh, but he mentioned that he has recently lost his wife, and obviously that's been heartbreaking. Uh, he's also recently a grandfather, so he has his two kids, and he now has a first grandkid. He's lost his wife, and that has kind of made him a man more focused in the solitude of, I like cars. And from that place, from a guy that likes to wrench, that's where we jump off into this car debate. There's some interesting little nuances in this. As I read this a couple of times, I realized I kept kind of taking away a new little piece. This is a fun one. Yeah, I kept rereading. And by the way, when you said grandfather, Alan is 41 years old. He has two children who are 23 and 22 as of this recording. And he's a grandfather. Yes. So let that sink in. He's an interesting guy mm -hmm. and lots of family. And we hope, uh, you know, family is coming together to comfort you in this time. But, yeah, you've got uh, the wrenching thing, which is cool to hear because you've had this uh, – well, you do have a 67 Camaro built from the ground up. And, mm -hmm. man, just all kinds of stuff that's gone into this car to go to autocross and track days at local tracks around Houston. And he's also built an Integra – with a domestic market motor. So, I mean, he's done the, the Japanese car thing. He's done the American car mm -hmm. thing. And here he is looking, because he's a sports car fan, he's looking at something that is used, but he's open to the German market. He's open to German cars. Yeah. And I think from what I'm reading, he's never owned one. He's, he's mm -hmm. kind of sniffing around here. And this, yep. this made me go in all kinds of different directions, but the main direction that I went, Alan, was backwards. Backwards in time. Okay. <laughs> all right. All <laughs> because right. as we've mentioned, we've got a $30,000 budget. Uh, well, maybe we haven't mentioned that yet. So a $30,000 budget here on something, and you're leaning towards German, so of course my eyeballs perked up here reading that <laughs> and uh, your eyeball your eyeballs perked well, up and your ears blinked my, anyway my i follow you yeah, i mean you know what do your eyeballs yeah. do when you get happy yeah. reading something I, they, I get it your eyeballs uh, i'm just up, I, I it guess. was it was an, it was a softball i had to take it all yeah right, i take your right. point trying to hit that one in the outer field there but uh, <laughs> like i said i had well, to go backwards i i'm just mm -hmm. i i'm excited to name off some of these interesting choices here cuz i don't think i've ever well, talked about these in terms of you should go buy this car well, that, that's cool. I mean, one of the other things I think is an interesting twist here, there, there's, there's a sentence that, like, sends me in one direction, and then the next sentence sends me in another direction. He's got a comment here, and I'm guessing this has only come up because you are now a grandfather. There's a comment here that you're kind of looking for a sporty sedan or maybe an SUV. I'm sitting here going, whoa, hang on, hang on a second. We've had a lot of small cars. You've had a lot of muscle cars. I'm not even sure why the SUV entered discussion, but SUVs are here, and I'm guessing that is grandchild-related. I'm, I'm not certain. But you go to the Austin, New Braunfels area fairly regularly, and I will acknowledge having been there, that that's where all the good roads in the state are. And you acknowledge you want to drive those roads for fun. This is a fun car. You don't have a big commute. You've got a tiny commute. So this is a car that is just about fun. As you describe it, this is a leisure miles car. You're not that worried about gas mileage. You're not that worried about it has to do this. But I do think sporty sedan is one end. SUV is another end. German is another wrinkle. This is kind of, I kind of feel like he's just open, which I really like. <laughs> I've actually got four things I want to discuss because okay. they're, they're two of them are actually SUVs because I'm not sure why SUVs are on there, but I want to bring it up. And then I want to talk about two others because I'm not sure what you're really looking for because I feel like you're so open. But I'm excited about what you've got as well, Paul. I've got four choices. One, two, three, four. Yeah, four choices as well. And then I've got one super duper extra with extra duper crazy just to make you laugh wild card because you're a hot rodder. It seems like it doesn't matter. You know, mm. the, the European cars, the American cars – Japanese cars, doesn't matter. You'll hot rod anything. Put a put something you're interested in in front of you. Alan, it sounds like you'll just wrench on anything, which I love. And so I've got this. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for the very end for that one. But I thought, all right, 30 grand, and you want something that's, you know, you can wrench on and work on. Well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. E92 M3s are 30K. But that just yeah. seemed boring to me. And not that they're <laughs> boring cars, but they just seem boring for you, Alan. It seemed yeah, like I see that. not much of a challenge because they'll do fine. You'll enjoy it. It doesn't mm -hmm, seem like there's mm -hmm. any, 
I don't know. There's I, I can't say passion because there is passion about that car. But I guess I'm just shopping for you alone. And so sticking with the BMW line, I went back to the first generation M6, that E24. Say like a hmm. 1987 BMW M6, which we drove. What a delightful car. It's older. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a very fun driving experience. You're right. It was a very unique driving experience. That's, I mean, you're doing the German thing and you're doing, you know, a unicorn kind of all at once. Keep going. Yeah, I just, I thought going backwards and going older is going to sort of force you to work on the car and keep tinkering and working mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Which yeah. is, in this case, a good thing because he wants to. For other people, yeah. that's why we don't suggest it. You know, if it's just a, a toaster you need, then a toaster, we will shop for you. So sure, yeah. in this case, I thought, wow, an M6, pick one up for 25 something like that if you can, and keep it running, and uh, I just think that would be great. But then that led me to something in the Porsche range. But I stopped myself because first I thought that, that sound that sound you just heard was the entire audience fainting from sheer shock <laughs> that you went into Porsche. That's that sound you just heard. I know. Keep you're going. All shocked. Fine. <laughs> I thought about the 124, the W124 generation E class, specifically okay. the 500E. So a Mercedes hmm. Benz 500E from '92 and '93. This is over 20 years old now. But sure. This car was worked on and built by Porsche. So Mercedes would ship the bodies over to Porsche. And then they would work on them and then ship them back to Mercedes for finishing things up. It's got 315 horsepower, I think. And it, you just don't see them. And I went shopping they're, and I found they're one. They're very rare and they're very cool. 20, yes. 22,000. They're just so rare. And they're so well built. And mm-hmm. keep it running. I cannot speak for their handling prowess, but they are sort of like a secret German hot rodders car, and I just they are yeah yeah. That could be I, cool. I do I I do have to acknowledge the reality that for one brief shining moment, the audience thought you'd thought Porsche, and then decided to step away. No, you went to the Porsche built Mercedes. <laughs> I, I actually I I want to acknowledge that reality. We kind of went to Mercedes only to backdoor our way back to Porsche. I do have to the same in the same breath though acknowledge that is a very cool, unique car that you found though. I, I do get that. I mean the fender flares, it just sits right and you mm-hmm. do a double they're, they're take and you cool think, looking. That's an they old E class, but what's something's wrong with that or something's very right with that car. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so that's what I thought. But then of course, continuing with the Porsche theme. I've never recommended a 928 before. I've told you I had one, mm-hmm. but I yeah. felt like this time it was appropriate because I see that. these are I inexpensive. See that. You don't have to spend thirty grand. You could get a not anywhere close. You could get yeah. like an eighty-five and wrench on it and keep it running, or an eighty-seven or something well, like that. He could get he could get a late eighties, early nineties for thirty grand. Sure, I mean he could. Yeah, you know I I, I you're you could have your choice, honestly, Alan. Of 928s. The funny thing is, I didn't put them on my list because I genuinely thought Paul's going to bring up the 928. That's the number <laughs> so one reason it's not on my list. You held back knowing what I was going to do. And again, we haven't I, even I just, communicated here. That's funny. I just expected that you would. I mean, I, the thought crossed my mind, and I just thought, I'm going to leave that one because I bet you Paul goes there. But it, but that means it's a great choice. It's an interesting choice. And with 30 grand, absolutely. You know, uh, Alan, I've even thought of, you know, you find a Panamera that's been rear-ended or T-boned. Yank the turbo V6 or a V8 out of that and drop it in a 928 <laughs> and then proceed to leave 100-yard burnouts everywhere you go. How cool would that be? Okay, so I've created a hot rod there, and I will leave you on my final weird thought. And I'm wondering why I've never seen this. Get, okay. a, get a really beat-down Prius for stupid cheap. And drop okay. a Viper motor in that thing. It'd be even more apropos. You and I have apropos. joked about that forever. We have. You, it's been a joke between us, but we've never had uh-huh. the chance to say we've it. We've never talked about it. Yeah. We're talking to yeah. a hot rider now. Drop an yeah. LS motor or something in a Prius, and it, it would be great if it still had those you know clean air stickers, carpool lane key approved. One. That's the key thing. You, want, you have stickers. to buy the shell. <laughs> you have to buy the shell. This works best in Los Angeles because in Los Angeles they gave out those stickers and they had a limited supply. So now cars that, I mean, honestly, some of those Prius, if you buy two Priuses in L.A. and one has the sticker on the back and one doesn't, the one with the sticker on the back, you can actually get more for it because you can ride in the HOV lane by yourself, 
hey, I'm a green vehicle, blah, blah. What we've joked about forever, especially in L.A., would be to buy that Prius with the clean air stickers on the back <laughs> and drop something ridiculous in it. Essentially do what, what the French did with the old Clio, you know, where they exactly turned the front-wheel right. drive car into the V6 rear-wheel drive car. It was the uh, with Renault With the rear R5. engine and all that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's that idea. But but I actually, you know, I'm, I've kind of wondered about the revised version of this. That's and that is, I at. like the Viper idea, but I actually wonder about the Hellcat motor. Oh, even better. Done. Done. Find a Hellcat that's, yeah, or even a brand new Hellcat and yank the engine out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just need uh, that engine. Alan, we, we can't even see your budget from here. I mean, we're just <laughs> into funny hot rod build madness. But it is something that we've joked about so many times about how much fun would it be to just behind the front seats of your second gen Prius is all engine. <laughs> and you're driving along in the HOV lane with the supercharger wine behind your head, and then you put it down, and the car takes off. Anyway, it, it's it's absurd. Well, I have. <laughs> Don't you think that's great? I We've have, never uh, been able to suggest this before, and we, we haven't. And that that could finally that that, that would give that would get out Alan's. <laughs> your little grandchild would come in and be like, "Mama, Grandpa's got an engine out in the garage again." I mean, who knows where that's going to go? That's what the frightening the children there, but I like it. Um, I had I have a couple of different rabbit trails because I'm not sure why the SUV thing has come up. Because Alan, you don't have that in your history really. The German thing is a new twist, and you've talked about you still want good handling. I want to walk through a few. Look, I'll, I'll venture into SUVs really quickly. Thirty grand, you could do German, and. SUV experience and some decent performance all at once. Look at two cars. Look at an old BMW X5 and look at an old Porsche Cayenne. Mm, sure. For thirty grand, you could get into either one. I think if you really are looking SUV, and I, to be honest, I'm, I, I see you mention it here. I'm not sure that it's the right answer. SUV is the right answer. But if you are th really thinking SUV, those are two that are going to check a lot of those boxes. You get the new German experience. You get an SUV that's got good handling. You can get them for your budget. I can speak to the Cayenne as being very reliable outside of the normal service intervals, which can be expensive. It's very reliable. Um, the, the more heavy duty you get, the Turbo S with 150,000 miles for sure. twenty five grand is sure. going to be more expensive to own than the Cayenne or Cayenne S for the same amount of money. So keep that in mind. But it has been very reliable. The the X5s, I have known X5 owners on both sides of the equation. Oh, yeah, it's great. Never has a problem. It's awesome. Versus the, I cannot keep this thing out of the shop. So sure. please scour, scour forums on the X5. I cannot speak from personal experience. I've just known people, like I say, on either side. If you're thinking SUV, not sure that's right, but there you go. Uh, if you're thinking space, then, of course, we have to bring up the CTS wagon. Oh, you can't yes, afford a CTS V, yes. which is the one you want, but the CTS wagon for its scale has good handling. You could get one for your money. That has to be in there. Of course, that leads me to the usual suspects. Can't do Chevy SS. Could do a Pontiac G8. We've recommended that before. These are kind of usual suspects, but there's a part of me that goes, okay, there's two I want you to really consider. All the ones I've talked about, I think, yeah. can work, but there's two that are on the top of my list. Very different. One, you've never owned a Corvette. I'm not sure okay. why not. Okay. It's not obviously we're not German, but for thirty grand you could get yourself a really nice C six. Okay? You could probably get if you shop really well, for somewhere around thirty grand you could probably find yourself a Z06 or possibly, if you could swing it, the Grand Sport. Yep. Yep. That'd be great. Fantastic road eating car. Just cruise. And there's that road that comes out of Houston, if I'm not mistaken, that's that, uh, what is it, 85 or 90 mile an hour posted toll road in, in Texas. You could just chew up that road in an old vet. You could be a fantastic road trip car, really, really roomy, but yet when the road tightens down, those C6s, you get a Z06 or Grand Sport, they handle well. They do handle well. They're not the C7, but they are good. Take a serious look at that. But then if we want to really do the German thing, I really like the E46 M3 for you. Mm. 30 grand, six speed. There will be some stuff that it needs, but it's not a turbo motor. It's, that, that is, in many ways, the pinnacle of BMW's inline six lineage. It's just a fantastic engine. It's not turbo. It's an it's a engine you can work on. Fantastic handling in that car. That car is small, agile. I really think that E46 may be a sweet spot for you, Alan. So try that out. Or anything with a Hellcat engine, you know, like a bar stool oh, yeah. with a Hellcat motor. Well, yeah, motor. I mean, 
Certainly, yeah. Anything. I mean, you know, you've got a you, you've got one of those coolers with beer in it and a Hellcat motor in the back. I mean, that's going to be better than all of these, of course. But uh, boxes are being but, checked know. all over the place. That's exactly. Awesome. Now, if you could do a Hellcat motor in a BMW body, now we'd really be on to something for Alan. Ooh. It would seem German, and yet it's not. But anyway, <laughs> it seems German. <laughs> All right, Alan, please write to us and let us know what you think. And uh, hope you have fun. Whatever you do end up getting, whichever route you go, please let us know. And uh, hope that uh, hope that helps. But moving on to the second car debate from Stu. Mm-hmm. We are not sure where Stu lives. But this is a little bit different because although it seems like more of a quick Facebook question, Stu is actually asking us to talk him out of a particular car. As in... Yes. Don't go get your hero car that you lusted after and you always wondered and always wanted this car. I know. I, I, <sighs> I, have, to, I have to acknowledge right up front. Maybe it's not bothering you. This one makes my head hurt. <laughs> it, it's just – this is, this is such an interesting question that at the same time, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, I, I, I actually just might need to lay down. I, I, I can't believe this is happening. Stu, you have bought a 2015 manual Chevy SS, and you acknowledge what we say. It is awesome, and you love it. There is your real car. Yes. That is your, yes. you know, your, your I-have-to-do-things car. You love driving it. It's a new car you shopped for for 18 months. You bought it. You couldn't be more thrilled. I can't say enough how thrilled I am that after that long a buying process, you bought a car and you're not six months in going, why did I get that? You love it. That's what we're all about. So that's cool. Of course, we love the Chevy SS. But here's where this gets weird. (laughs) Because you want a car that's unique, that doesn't have to run all the time, that you can work on if need be. I very much feel the unique thing, but you think you've already found it, and you're asking us if we think it's a good idea. And at this point, my brain screeches to a halt. <laughs> so Stu is enamored with a GMC Typhoon. You remember this thing? First it was the Cyclone, which is ridiculous mm-hmm. power in a pickup truck, a little tiny Chevy S10 pickup truck. And then they went to the Blazer, or this, the smaller one. That's the little trailblazer thing. I mean, essentially, somebody yeah. realized we've put a bunch of horsepower in the rear-wheel drive of a tiny little pickup, and it can't get traction. You know what we need is more weight in the back. Let's put it in the little SUV. Yeah. I mean, this was – I, I – yeah, this was that era where – you know, Ford did the uh, ridiculous Fiesta that Jay Leno owns one of. I forget what those were called, but the oh, little the, Fiesta the that had Shogun. too much power. And yeah. it, there it is. There it is. Yeah, I mean, it, this is that era in the 90s when car makers were making hot-rodded versions of cars where you just kind of shook your head and went, why did you do that again? <laughs> so <laughs> Stu is looking very seriously at a GMC Typhoon. He has fifteen grand to spend, and he really wants to he, – he thinks he – ow – Again, my head hurts again. <laughs> so uh, he thinks he wants a typhoon. And, I mean, this is this is mid-'90s GM. Nothing about this interior is good. This <laughs> this car originally wasn't great, and the answer is let's give it more power. i I, I got to be honest with you, Stu. I'm having a lot of trouble going down this rabbit trail with you. It, it hurts me. It really does. Stu, you can probably tell that this stuck out because of what we were just suggesting with Alan, that it does kind of work for him, but I'm not sure if it works here because of what you're looking at. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. I will say, if you're looking at a car and you just want it, well, go get it. If that's what is going to make you happy, fine. We're not going to try to talk you out of it. But in this case, I'm not sure, you know, putting a different heart in a, you know, something that shouldn't have that much power or... You know, obviously contradicting myself massively, but this was done well, from the factory by Chevy, by GM. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I've never heard of a $15,000 typhoon <laughs> that really didn't cost me too much. I mean, these are big, giant holes down which to pour your money. And I'm just, yeah, for that I, reason, I'm cautious. Not that it's not cool and you wouldn't get looks and. Yeah, you can sell it well, to your wife as a winter car. We get that. The the number one, I mean, you actually do mention, I was reading about that winter section again, and you actually do mention you're in Minneapolis, so thank you for that. But, I mean, you're talking about your wife's giving you the go-ahead. You do have your first child on the way. I mean, there, there's some real life, but thankfully the Chevy SS has got all that covered. I get it. You've got room to run around and be nuts. And if you just want to be nuts, 
the typhoon is nuts. I will go with you there, man. You have gone there. But here's the thing. I feel like it's the joke that only you get. That's my concern. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, it, when when it's running and it's awesome, you have a typhoon and you have to kind of explain the joke. And that's never good. And if, when it's not running, now it is a joke, which is even worse. So it's not like this is that special one-off. I'll give you a good example. This isn't a Grand National. This isn't a Buick Grand National, okay, where you, you hear about those cars. You see them at car shows. Car enthusiasts know what they are, and they think, that's awesome. That guy's got a Grand National. That's not what the Typhoon is. And it's from the same kind of era, okay? And it's the same kind of hot rod, you know, GM thinking. Uh, this is not that. I feel like there's a reason nobody's talking about them. I mean, look, I'll fully acknowledge, never driven one. But the other thing about it is we think of it as a hot rod, but I looked this up. 280 horsepower. 280 well, this isn't like some barn burner. I mean, at the time that was a lot, but 280 horsepower, a four-speed automatic. I'm struggling. The farther I go down this rabbit trail, the more it hurts. Yeah, and uh, Stu, yes, I should have kept reading. You are in Minneapolis, and uh, so the winter thing is uh, part of the equation here. I do want to get serious for just a moment, keeping in in uh, you know the theme with what Todd's saying here. When you're looking at doing something like this, my big question is, what are you going to do with it when you're all done? I mean, are you going to mm, spend excellent. endless money where, you know, you have to tell people, yeah, see all that black smoke? Yeah, she's running pretty rich right now. I got to adjust a few things. <laughs> are you going to want to keep going down that road and always have to make that excuse? Or is it going to be finished at, at some point? And therefore, are you going to race it? Are you going to autocross it? Is it to cruise mm -hmm. it? Is it for chores? It needs to be something that's useful for the thing that you have in mind rather than, okay, I'm all done and it runs and... I'm poor, huh? So yeah. my other question to you is, what are you going to do with it when you have to sell it? Mm -hmm. And my overarching statement here is, if you're going to do this, if you can, try to make it something that's going to be worth more when you're done. Mm. Hopefully. Hopefully. Good luck that's on hard. that, but hopefully. That's hard. Yeah, it is. It's very so, hard. So therefore, that brings me to cars that are a continuation car, as in you're continuing what somebody has already started. They've already got a different mm. turbo and something. Okay. They've put sure. the money into sure. the wheels. They've done all the suspension work, but they can't afford anymore because they have to sell it for some reason. And you're picking mm -hmm. up where they've mm -hmm. left off. They've already invested money into a lot of nice parts. And you think, ah, I could improve on what they've done. I'm taking yeah. their yeah. investment and continuing with it, whether that's a, a Subaru or an Evo or how about a sure, Honda sure, S2000 sure. that's been tuned and modded. Or a Miata's are cheap. How about one that has been, you know, it's an <laughs> endurance racer. It's a, you know, s stuff has been done to it. And you're going to keep going with it. And you're going to dive into that world mm -hmm. and continue what somebody's already started. There's lots of tuned cars that are either... They, they're doing it right and cannot finish it, or they've done it really poorly, and you're stepping in to save the day. <laughs> or they've done it wrong, and brace yourself. <laughs> that is the other option here. I mean, what we're talking about here, I mean, our, our shooter Chance is a great example, because he has an old Mustang that he is slowly rebuilding, and he had promised his wife, promised us, promised everybody it was going to be running this summer before they moved. <laughs> uh, they had to trailer it. They had to trailer it to the new house. And I'm not picking on chance. This is the nature of project cars. Sure. I mean, listen sure. to our friend Matt Farah talking about his Fox Body Mustang. He has it out for five minutes. It goes back in the shop for six months. I mean, if you're doing the work yourself, the great thing about both you guys tonight, actually, is that that's what you're wanting. You're wanting something you can do the work yourself. And that's cool. But, yeah, what are you getting into? And then I agree with you, Paul. I hadn't even thought about that. What's the end game here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like with a typhoon, it's just I have a typhoon. I have a GMC typhoon. Can I <laughs> explain to you what rich. it is? And it runs. I gotta fix. And that's some it. Stuff. We're 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 kind of done. <laughs> but I I do. Do you have any specific cars? Because I actually did think of some some specific cars here for Stu. I have two. Okay. One is very inexpensive, and I say get one before they go in the opposite direction, and that's okay. an E36 BMW M3. Hmm. Okay. Inexpensive. I mean, borderline cheap. Yeah, they're beat yeah. down. But as soon as you start putting money into it, you can actually sell it for more. You improve the interior. You get the seats reupholstered. You rebuild some things about the motor. You replace some weak points on the car. Huh. Sure, sure. And you could kind of sell it for more. And the other one that fits this category is a car you're very familiar with, and that's a Z, a 300ZX. 
make funny. one and de you know de-rod it, you know, unmodify the car. <laughs> make buy it, one make and, it pristine. And make it back to the original glory. Find the wheels and make it a rare car because Fascinating. holy cow, it's completely stock. Yes, I unmodded this car. I bought it and it was a well, terrible Fast and Furious car and I went back to stock. <laughs> and look at it now. You could probably sell it for more. What's, here's what's interesting about what you've done and I'm kind of surprised because I brought up the Z as I actually thought of the Z as well. We've actually thought of the same car and I wanted to talk about it for a minute. But thanks for bringing it up because it, it launches pretty well. The two things I really stick on in this email from Stu is you want a car that can be a project that's one thing. So you're welcome to that. You're open sure, to that. Sure, sure. And you want it to be unique. And so I started thinking about, and, I, and the reason the Z came up, you'll see very quickly. I started thinking about what are cars that when you have it done, when you take it anywhere, that starts a conversation. It's just, it will. But yet it's also going to be cool to drive, fun to drive, worthwhile and right. enjoyable. Right. And if it breaks, you have a way to get stuff. So that True. was kind of where my, my head started going. And I do want to say the 300ZX is great in all of those categories. The 300ZX, it needs love. They're old cars now. But the twin turbos are genuinely fun to drive. Oh, They're yeah. great-looking yeah. cars. Nobody looks at the 300ZX and goes, oh, what is that? Everybody knows what it is. Everybody likes what it is. The problem is, like Paul's saying, you either have ones that have been massively tuned, and we got to fix that, or they haven't been taken care of, and they've gotten cheap now, so they're beat down. But there's a great website I used to reference all the time, TwinTurbo.net. Anything you want to know about those cars is on that site. There are still people that just specialize in those cars, parts like crazy. They're hard to work on because the engine is so well packed in there. It's practically another hood. It's, it's insane how tight it is. But you're wanting to work on it. You can find parts. You can make this car work. You can make it run. You would enjoy driving it. I think that's a great one. But in that same category, Porsche 944. Mm, yeah, I'm glad you suggested you that. You can get one of those with your budget of 15 grand. You can get one for probably half that, maybe 10 grand. The rest of that's going to go to parts. I'm going to tell you right now. But the people we know that have them love them. That car, I feel like, has got a growing appreciation among enthusiasts. You can find parts, great chassis, fun to drive. 944 Turbo would be awesome. I'd those like are my that. first two. Those are my first two. Those are my normal two. And then I have two. Serious wild cards for you, Stu. Is it a Prius with a Hellcat motor? It isn't, actually, but thanks uh, for going there. Shoot. Uh, did you have any others you wanted to cover? You want me to dive into those? Dive into those. Those were the, my, my main things, but I do like your points on having a community surrounding the car with parts, restoration. Mm -hmm. That's that's huge, actually, because you don't want to go out at, you know, on a limb, and I've got this alpha that nobody knows mm -hmm. or cares about, and... You know, your, your comment about, uh, you know, being uh, you, you get the joke, but nobody else does, that has resonated with me, to be honest. And that well, ties I think, in with I mean, this. I, but it comes back to where, where you started, which an answer we don't have from Stu yet, and that is when you're done, wh what, what de defines you as done, and then what do you do with it, which right. is a great question. I, I will fully acknowledge my bias here, Stu, is I think when I think project car, I think when you're done, it drives amazing. That's what I think. Right. Right. So I have trouble following the rabbit trail of the Typhoon because at the end of that, a Typhoon that drives well is not going to drive as well as many sports cars. So I have trouble. True. I, I'll, I'll True. fully acknowledge. That's my blind spot in this. But a 300ZX or a 944 Turbo running really well, that's going to be just a car you're proud of. Yeah. And right. a car that will right. drive well, too. It's not just a show car. It's a great car. But then I thought, okay, wait. Wait, 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 wait. You want a project? You want a car that's unique? You have $15,000, and when you're done, you want a car that is unique and a project you built in your garage. I have to bring up oh. two. You <laughs> really know. want to go there. I know. One, I know. the Factory 5818. That is a WRX donor car and becomes a mid-engine sports car. You could do that in your garage. The other one is the Exocet Miata. Take a Miata, mm. tear that down, make an Exocet. Both of those, when you're done, are driver's cars. And I guarantee you, wherever you go, you're the only one. Fantastic. So you did well unique. <laughs> you did unique. You built it in your garage. It's all of that stuff while that Chevy SS just keeps running for you. This is a project. And when you're finished, and here's the thing. It's a project, but yet all the parts exist. It's not like a weird where does this come from? Well, that entire part of the car is a WRX or the Exocet. That entire part of the car is a Miata. 
go get another one. You know, I mean, it's it's not, yeah. this isn't, you're lost anywhere without a way to do it. I mean, it comes with instructions for God's sakes. Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, that's my two wild cards for you, Stu, because you could have a great car when you're done. Yeah, essentially what you're talking about here is kit cars because they, you know, the cars they're derived from, there is such the community around that, but they're a different car. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but you didn't go into your garage and build out your WRX. You built an right, 818. Right. And who knows, you know, how that's going to be classified as insurance and whatever. But, you know, you're driving a fun little sports car that's so unique. That's mm-hmm. really great. That's really great. Well done. Well so done. I'm not sure I'm not sure where exactly to land for you, Stu, because we're not sure where you want to end up. I'm having trouble following you on the typhoon, but hopefully we've <laughs> helped you somehow. Uh, we should move on to some Facebook questions a lot, as always. Thank you guys for always engaging with that. We really, really love that. I've got three that I picked. How many have you got? I've got a couple as well, and there's one that's a bit longer, so I thought I'd touch on this. But go ahead and kick things off. Uh, well, okay. We had uh, John Glass wrote in and said, for $15,000, would we go Honda S2000 or 986 Boxster S? That's actually a conundrum. That's a tough one. <laughs> I really think it is. I mean, the the hmm, I, ah, I I keep talking myself to both sides of this equation, John. I mean, that's how good this is. I feel like you have to kind of ask yourself, what do you want to use it for? If it's going to be a look what I have kind of cruising car, I think the Porsche wins just because of the badge. But I I hate the look of those first gen boxers. I got to be honest, I don't like the look of them. They're pretty reliable. They're ridiculously cheap. Um, but I don't like the look of them very much. Of course, because it's a Porsche, it's going to be more expensive to maintain than that S2000. The S2000 mm-hmm. is just much beloved. And I think if you said, I'm going to make this my canyon runner with the top down, not that the Boxster couldn't do it, but I think the S2000 feels a little more unique in that regard. You haven't decided, though. You haven't made a choice. You're still talking yourself up one tree and down the other. I am. I am talking all over the place. I, look, I'm going to say the $15,000 car, if we're going to go the avenue of I want to buy a $15,000 car that's just a fun car and it needs to just run, I'm going to go S2000 and stay there. I've got to ask the maintenance question as well, John, because you've got to buy the car you can afford. And by that mean, not the one you can buy, but the car you can continue to maintain. And so, yes, Todd's right. The Porsche is going to cost you more in maintenance and you're going to want to do stuff. Both cars are going to want to do stuff to it, but then, sure, yeah. you know, for maintenance, depending on how many miles it's got, probably the Porsche is going to cost you more. If you're up for it, I say go Porsche. But if you're just thinking, I've bought the car for 15 and that's kind of it, I've got to say Honda, honestly. I mean, mm, at that sure. price point, because of the maintenance and you just got to steal yourself and get ready for it because those older 986 well, and- Boxsters are going to kind of start sucking on your wallet to be honest they're going to well and I'm going to I'm going to shift this question I I didn't really think of this when I first brought it up but I'm going to shift this question I'm going to bring up Chance again for some reason we're talking about Chance our photographer a lot tonight but if you had said to me John comparatively because you can find S2000s for 20 to 25 if you'd said 20 to 25 I would say don't go S2000 go the next gen Boxster the 05 and up Boxster mm. is better and Chance and his wife just did that yeah. And it, they got yeah. a pristine car. They got, what was it, an 07? It's gorgeous. Uh, 08, I believe. 08. Okay. Well, we're going to get it wrong either way. Sure. But uh, but it's, I mean, they got the base Boxster, so it's the five-speed. It's like 240 horsepower. It's not a rocket ship, but it's a better-looking car. And they found themselves a deal, like low 20s, five-speed Boxster. If, if it was the 20s you were talking about, I would go Boxster over S2000, get into the newer version um, but at 15, I'm going to stay S2000. All right. Uh, what's next here? Kenneth asks about uh, music. He, he said, are any of us musical? Are either Todd or I musical? And he said mm. that he's noticing our music has changed. And uh, yes, we do have a musical friend. We haven't used him in quite a while, uh, but mostly it's, uh, it's music that is specifically chosen for the piece. Uh, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I will go way back to the Fisker Karma review that we did. Our mm-hmm. composer was Freddie, and he did all the sounds for the Fisker Karma. He actually composed the way the car makes noise. So the mm-hmm. from the door chimes to a- any sound, beeps and boops. And any sound the car emitted, he decided what it yeah. was, yeah. Yeah, he was our composer on uh, – which film was that? 
that that he well uh, i mean that's that's the thing when the show started i i had worked with freddie on on some films actually and he's an incredibly gifted composer and he's actually working all the time now which one of the reasons we don't use him as much because frankly he's kind of outgrown us but (laughs) he's expensive incredibly incredibly (laughs) talented guy and when the show started which is the better part of a decade ago i had him make us a bunch of library tracks which we used, and so you'll, when you hear in the first four or five years of the show, you'll hear all the same tracks being reused. Every couple of years, he'd get us four or five new ones, all the way up through the Porsche 911 film, where he specifically composed uh, almost every track in that film is something that he composed, which is really cool. Uh, I am not musical. I will fully acknowledge. Paul actually is a pretty good musician, plays the piano very well. I am just not gifted in that way. However, I have a musical sensibility. I have a very good sense of rhythm. It's one of the reasons that I can edit. I have a very good sense of rhythm, and I kind of know the style I would like. I couldn't begin to play it for you, but I can know. I kind of know the style I would like. So I'm, I was kind of a good client with Freddie because he would send me something, <laughs> and I would say, okay, I don't like where the strings come in here, and I would like to return this drum track differently, and these kind of things. I kind of knew what I didn't like, but I couldn't go, let me tell you exactly what I need. I could give him a style. So we did that for a while, but then after, uh, as he was growing and everything he was doing in scale, and as we were growing as a show, starting with, um, I think it's actually Mid-Inches and Mountains, we started using a lot more online uh, music services and chasing down licensable music that we would tie to certain pieces. And so we're doing that more and more specifically on our bigger stuff. So like the RS piece that dropped today, the uh, the Mustang piece, I go in search of music that sounds like it fits the character of either the, the cars or maybe the location and the style of the piece. And I end up uh, chasing that down that way. Yeah, as Todd said, I did grow up playing the piano. It was primarily classical piano, but in high school I was in a band. And uh, <laughs> of course... And then, uh, yeah, just played. I'm, I'm into jazz. I like uh, Diana Krall, you know, sort of the improvisational jazz kind of stuff. Uh, but to be honest, I haven't played lately. I've been rather busy with all kinds of stuff and just kind of haven't made time. And that's one of those things where you just got to sit down and, and uh, yeah. get back into it. But I do enjoy it. It's a bit of a stress release at this point. And uh, I love playing, and uh, I own the grand piano that my grandfather bought in 1938, brand new, for my grandmother. That was their first piece of furniture in 1938 Mm -hmm. that they bought for $400. Yeah. It's a gorgeous piece. Yeah, so I look at it every so often. I think, gosh, I need to carve time out to go play again because it is such a stress release. But no, we do not compose any of our own music. It's uh, it's folks like Freddie and, and others that have done that for us. So anyway, but thanks for noticing. We uh, we work hard. Todd well, it works very hard on on choosing the right music that suits the piece. And hopefully you've noticed that when he's mixing and it's hmm. definitely suits the car's character. I mean, you could probably touch on that more than I can, but things that suit the piece and the mood and the things that we're talking about, that's the underlying theme that you're hearing because of your mm-hmm. experience from you know working in the well, film industry. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I've also edited a lot of commercials. And uh, yeah. you know, commercials yeah. vary from you actually have a composer who's going to do a, a specific track for the commercial to we have to find a stock piece that fits the flavor. But even if you're going to have a composer, most of the time what happens as an editor is you're roughing in a piece. You're putting a piece of music to it and cutting that piece of music as this is the style that I like. And then a composer is going to take that and jump off. Okay, and they're going to take it their own direction. So that's given me a lot of exposure not only to places where you can license music because, of course, I've cut commercials with every budget you can imagine from uh, but money is no object to uh, can we do this for a number that barely has a comma in it. And yeah. the answer to that one is no, you can't. But um, the so that's the thing. You end up finding lots of music, and I've, I've heard all kinds of styles, and there's been multiple times I've cut to a piece of music I cannot stand, but I feel it's right for the commercial. Mm-hmm. I've had that right. happen too, which right. is weird to do because music is a very personal thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, but I mean, people have commented on mid engines and mountains, and also uh, the pilgrimage film as really liking the music, and I'm thrilled because we're trying to find things that go with the style of the piece. I also want to do a quick shout out to Frank DeSalvo, who a couple years back had some really good muscle car sounding music, and that's really what it sounded like. It sounded like it needed to go with muscle cars. So, if you mm-hmm. go back to our um, Z28 and original Hellcat. Uh, Challenger review. That's Frank's music. He had approached us with some tracks and just said, "Hey, could you use these?" And we had those cars on the on the shoot calendar already. And I went, "Yes, I can." So you know, <laughs> exactly. it, it, it's interesting to see some of the places where music finds us. But most of the time, we're in search. Yep, yep. Well, hopefully, Kenneth, that answers your question. Maybe more than you asked. Maybe more than you wanted to know. But uh, 
yes, it's always on our minds, and we appreciate it uh, and hope you guys do too. So thank you. What else was on your list? Uh, what other questions do you have here? Uh, well, I had one from, uh, from Mario. Uh, Mario wrote in and said, as a car enthusiast, I, I actually really like this, Mario. It's a, good, it's a good question. As a car enthusiast, is it okay to consider a Prius as a daily driver, or is that hurting essentially your credibility or the credibility of all driving enthusiasts? Have, are you hurting the breed by driving a Prius? <laughs> and I, I have to laugh. I have to laugh. I mean, um, I, I would say to you, Look! Look hard at your life, and I don't mean that as a weird examine. Examine your life thing. I mean, I don't. I don't examine mean it as a, as a, as a slap. Life. Examine your. I know that's how here. it sounds. I don't mean it that way. What I mean in this situation Be is more self-aware. No, no, no. Because I, I would say to you this: if that's your only car, Mario, if you if you say I'm a car guy, and you went and bought only a Prius, and you don't have access to another vehicle. Yeah, that's hurting your cred there. It really is. But if you say to me, I have whatever car. I have an S2000. I have a Cayman. I have a Miata. I have a, and I am putting Miata in the enthusiast category for sure. I have whatever car that is no question an enthusiast car, and I drive it for autocross or these events, or I go up in the, in the mountains in the, on the weekends, but yet I sit bumper to bumper in L.A., let's say. Chicago, we were just there. Lots of traffic there. I sit bumper to bumper for an hour every morning. And for that, I got a Prius. You know what, man? Good on you. I'm fine with it. I mean, take. Yeah. let's jump back to Matt Farah, who bought a Chevy Volt just because he had a bad commute for a while. Right. He bought a Chevy Volt, and he loved it for that. Nobody's questioning whether or not Matt likes cars. At that point, I think he had more cars than literally he could remember, which is when you know you have a problem. <laughs> right. But he, he remembered the Volt because it was in the garage, and the rest of them, it was like he started scratching his head going, wait, I forgot that one. We were bringing him up when we asked, like, what about that car? So... You know, but he was driving the Volt every day because it made sense. So that's why I say examine the life that you're leaving, that you're leading, and your why you're needing a Prius. And I think any car that is a tool. I've talked about a winter beater. Is that going to be my most fun car ever? No, but it's it's a terrible day outside. Maybe I should get a car that can get beat on. There I'm you with go. you, Mario. Excellent question, and I will give you a mulligan on this one only because of fuel <laughs> mileage. Only. And that is if you're saving money on a commute and it saves you fuel mileage and gas and, you know, gas money and all that stuff, I, I get it. I cannot fault you for that. But you've got to have something as a backup. You've got to have something else, you know, sitting in the garage that you're dreaming about at home while you're sitting in the Prius because, ah, yeah, that's the only reason that I'm going to give this one to you for, for, uh, <laughs> for fuel mileage, so... Otherwise, fair, but yeah, I'm, I'm, any other reason, it's out, it's out, sorry. <laughs> You're struggling with it, I see, I see. So what else do you have? Michael Mosesian wrote to us about car design, which of course perked up my eyeballs, as usual. Yes, there you, well done, you did it again. Um, he asks us, is, uh, is it interesting to see, or it's interesting to see how different our perception of domestic car design in different countries is versus other countries. So domestic mm. car design for Japanese cars, for European cars, American. But I've yeah. got yeah. I've got a, uh, a thought to plant in your head, Michael. And I'll start with a guy named Ken Okiyama. He's a Japanese industrial designer who designed the Ferrari Enzo. Most mm. recently, as of the 2016 mm. Monterey Car Show, he came out with his own design called the Code 57, also very sleek and stylish. Car companies hire designers for their ability to step beyond their nationality and design mm. for the brand. BMWs are always going to sure. have the twin kidney grill and the Hofmeister kink. And so sure. yeah. pushing that forward, yeah. and they've got a range of designers. Hyundai has hired uh, Luke Dunkervolka, who is the Lamborghini Murcielago designer. He's worked for Bentley, and he's now with Hyundai in charge of the Genesis lineup as well as Sang Yep Lee, who designed the Camaro. Who's, he's a Korean mm. guy who designed the Camaro Refresh. That's as American as it gets. So I ask you, what is domestic car design? And that ties in with, where was the car built? Are Toyota Camrys American? They're built by Americans yeah. in America. So are they Japanese, yeah. are they American? Yeah. But sticking with the design here, I take your point. He says here, people outside the US view a Mustang as an expensive car. And the stylistic proportions will, will uh, clue you into various things. As an example, a sporty wheel has fewer spokes. A more luxurious wheel has many spokes. 
But then there's the mm. in-between. How do you make a luxurious yet sporty wheel? And what does that design look like that gives you the visual cues? So I, I've seen in Detroit, I've been through the GM studio a few years ago. I'm walking through the advanced car studio when Ed Welburn was still the president of design. Mm-hmm. I saw more Opals in Detroit being designed than Chevys. They were all going under review, mm. which meant the theme is set in Detroit and then refined at the Opal studio in Europe and in Germany. Yeah, so yeah, therefore, yeah. no longer can you say, well, domestic cars in each category are designed in their home country because they're not. Studios, the mm. bigger ones worldwide, have competitions among themselves. It might be Korea and the U.S. and the European studios of a car manufacturer all have a friendly internal competition to set the theme for the new car that is sure, maybe sure. it's a Korean car. Maybe Ford, you know, they are the, the Focus RS is built in Germany. I don't know where it's been designed, but it looks European mm-hmm. to my eye. The way it sits and the aggressive nature of that car, it doesn't look mm-hmm. like an American car anymore. So it it just depends. So my overall comment here is, yes, I agree. It's, it's interesting. But car manufacturers hire their designers for their skill and expertise to promote the brand and that flavor. Doesn't matter who did it. And the best designers, they can set their nationality aside and design for the brand and for what it appeals to. We want an American car. It's got to look American. Well, what is that? Yeah. What are the yeah, visual great cues point. that say that? So that's, that's, a great what, point. that's what they hire for. And that's why we talk about car design. That's why we talk about anything visual. And, of course, I'm going off about design. That's why we fill our things with the th- mm-hmm. our lives with the things that we like. That appealed to me. I can buy 10 digital yeah. cameras, the eyewear, the watch, the footwear, the clothes, the car, all that kind of stuff. It appealed to my design aesthetic. Whether you like it or not, that's why you put art on your walls. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm, I'm going crazy here. I realize that. But I well, want to hear no, your thoughts you- on this, too. Well, but that's the thing. The reason I'm not sharing any thoughts is because, honestly, when we're talking about design, I, I kind of get lost after, I think that's pretty. After that, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really kind of lost. Wow. I mean, you've taught me a lot of things about lines and how lines intersect and how there's subtle changes and shifts. And I, I've gotten to the point where I can start to at least express in halfway decent design terms, thank to, thanks to you, why I think a car is attractive or unattractive. But you're talking about nuances that, I mean, there's a reason I'm silent because I really don't have anything to contribute other than, I like that car, it's nice. <laughs> it's I mean, I, I mentioned I to like you it. I mentioned to you once years ago, and I, you didn't necessarily agree and a lot of other people didn't either, but I'm going to come back to it just because I like to get beat on. The original <laughs> Audi A5 S5, I feel like, felt like more like a Camaro design than an Audi design. Now, I like it, and it's super classy, and that's probably why it's not a Camaro, but there was a part of me that just envisioned that car with a GM front end and a, a, a Chevy mm. bow tie, and I thought that would work. Mm. So I think that th- that's the thing you, you're striking here very clearly is it's not the nationality of the car design. It's the car design looking like the brand in question because yeah. what you don't want to have somebody do is be like, that's a Honda? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want that. You, yeah. you, you want them to like it, but you want them to still see that it, oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Wait, 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 that's, that's the new BMW? That's not the response you want. So, I mean, you can go extreme with that and say, every 911 looks the same for 60 years. That's the bad end of it. But on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> you can sure. look at the whole Porsche lineup and go, all of those are Porsches. Yeah. yeah. So there is that as well. I see where you're going. I do get that. And especially throughout the product range, do the cars relate? Do they look mm-hmm. uniform? Do they all look like they're the same brand representing the, the aesthetic design this brand is you know, representing? And so it's a struggle to differentiate in the automotive market. I think it's gotten better. I think we went through a period in the 2000s where you could argue, gosh, everything just looks the same at first glance with a few exceptions. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, for example, Kia has very much defined it. Whether you know it or not, it's that tiger nose shape. Mm-hmm. And You're right. they hired You're right. Peter Schreier, formerly head of design for Audi. Well, no yeah. wonder you're liking Kias better. The surfaces have smoothed out. They've calmed mm-hmm. down. They're not so aggressive. They've stopped drawing. And, you know. <laughs> That's one of my favorite critiques <laughs> you have for designers when you just say, stop drawing. Stop, stop drawing. Catching. Put just the end. pencil down. Walk away. <laughs> Finished. That's Sometimes one of my all-time favorites. You got to call it good, you know. 
<laughs> well, but I mean, but you can always tell on the other end of the spectrum, though, as much as that makes me laugh and as much as you talk about that, you can always tell the car that feels like it's gotten fussy. Yeah. Because, yeah. well, but between these two really nice lines, I'm going to add a random character line. And it gets to production, you go, that's a random character line that shouldn't even be there. So that that is a reality. I mean, you could you could go off on design for quite some time, but I, I actually like your Kia example because those cars started to look classy and uniform. Mm-hmm. You may not like them, but they just they got a feel that you just go, that's a Kia, and and I mean that in a great way. They just got they got a style about them that is clean with the same grill, and of course that's what everybody's chasing is we need to get our grill, and you end up with monstrosities like the chrome beak that Acura did for a while, and whatever it is that oh, yeah. Nissan's doing right now, I'm not really sure about that. Sheesh. But that's all what happens is trying to get a brand image that the icons like a BMW already have. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Design your car with highlights because ultimately we're all just raccoons hanging onto a shiny bit of tin foil. So it's just got to be shiny and cool, right? <laughs> car design for <laughs> raccoons this time on the Everyday Driver Car Debate. I actually don't have any others to cover here. Uh, that was the main stuff that I noted. Did you have any others you wanted to, to talk about? Well, we should wrap it up at this point, even though lots of great questions. I hope to get to some of these the next time around. But in the meantime, yeah. we, we sure appreciate all these questions, guys, because – Man, lots of good ones in here. There's even T-shirt suggestions that are not T-shirts. All kinds oh, of wait stuff a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That reminds me of something. Okay. Just this minute. Here is my poll for all of you listening. All right. We have had two different conversations in the last week. Just just respond to this on Facebook. When, when we post about this podcast tomorrow, I'll remind this question. And please feel free to comment to us there on Facebook. Uh, we've talked about doing, A, license plate frames. With oh, like yes. something like you can't you can't drive a spec sheet in the Everyday Driver logo, something like that. I don't know if that's what it would be, but something like that, and or stickers that could be like the logo sticker. You could do it as an actual like bumper sticker, or we've even talked about doing the the weird stick on decal things, the exact kind of thing you do when you have your like oil change thing in the corner where it's a it's a clear thing that sticks oh, to yeah. your glass. Yeah, we talked about doing those as stickers. well because. Obviously, those are easier to remove, and you can put them on your glass. But but the ultimate question is uh, license plate frames or stickers or some combination of the above. I'd be very curious because we're looking very seriously into that in the short term. And uh, actually, everybody in the Everyday Driver crew is off buying cars. Paul got a Cayman GTS. Chance got a Boxster. Uh, our shooter, Edgar, just got an S2000. Uh, so we're, we're buying up the Everyday Driver Greatest Hits Garage, and we want to put stickers on all of them or maybe license plate frames. This is the question. Yep, yep. Well, uh, please let us know. Thank you guys, really, for listening, for watching. I hope you like the Focus RS piece. Please leave a comment and uh, enjoy. In the meantime, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. 